Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And today we are going to be talking to exonerated former prison inmate Robert McClendon, who spent 18 years in prison for rape he did not commit and was released in 2008 after DNA evidence exonerated him and several other men that were featured in the Dispatch series Test of Convictions. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting conversation. And Robert, when coming in here this morning, I was thinking like, it's been 10 years since you walked out. And you think about 10 years is a long time, but you were in for 18. Yes. So what are those numbers? When you think about those numbers, what do you think about? Well, the funny thing is about time is when you're in prison, the time goes so slow. You can't wait for the day to be over with so you can move on to the next day. Out here, the time goes so fast. I cannot believe that it's been 10 years. You know, it's, it just seems like the years go by so much faster out here in society. So in my philosophy about the 18 years that I did in prison is I really, at the end of the day, I want 18 years out here. I can't get to 18 years back. They're gone. They're mm-hmm. done with. But I want to live 18 happy years out here, and I've already accomplished 10. Sure. Got eight more. I think I'll make it. Does it make you angry? Maybe not at anybody in particular, but does it make you angry that you lost those 18 years? When I was going through it, I had my moments, my bitter moments. You know, when you go to prison, you lose everything but faith and hope, and you have to find something to do. I chose to deal with with young youth gangbangers and things like that. But I try not to be really bitter or for it to show. Because I don't believe that you can really reach out to people or you can embrace people when you're when you're bitter. We had a guy named Fierce who was bitter, real, real bitter, and it showed. Now he's back in prison. And I've found that most of the exonerees that get out are very, very humble. They don't mind sharing their stories, sharing their pains. And it transcends better with an audience when you don't have a lot of bitterness or a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Do you think that that bitterness, you know, laying that down was a way for you to not, is a bitterness kind of an avenue maybe back to prison, you think? Whereas it can lead, you know, mentally, it can erode you, it can break you down and, and cause you to do things that, you know, get you back in prison. Was really, that a factor? I truly believe that because there's several guys that have gotten out. There's a couple of exonerees that have ended up back in prison as a result of being bitter and having an attitude. And there's one exoneree who I won't name who's having a hard time because he feels that he was not awarded what he was supposed to be awarded. Oh, you Um, mean from the state? Yeah, from from the state or from the innocent project. Sure. For those who may not know, it's common that exonerees who spent time in prison for being wrongly convicted get some kind of payout. Yes. And a lot of people believe that that payout is not nearly enough, including Uh, what you're saying is the exoneree. it's, It's not nearly enough, but I found that I'm, for me personally, 
I count my blessings more than I count money. I'm more richer now than I ever have been in my life, and it has nothing to do with money. It's, it's because of my association with uh, the Innocent Project, helping other people get out of prison, bonding with my fellow exonerees, sitting and talking with the students at the Innocent Project that are that is really the blood of the Innocent Project. My associations and my friendships, the things that I do that, that has brought me happiness. Since I've been out, I had to, to disassociate myself with some family members mm. that had hidden agendas, and I found things, other things to do. Like, I play cornhole now. I'm pretty good. I'm like third. <laughs> third. You played cornhole state. tournaments? You're yes, third in the state. Seniors, 55. Oh, okay. well, hey, that's still. I'm not a pro. Okay. But I beat some pros. And, and, and speaking good. of that, Robert, like, I mean, you look really good, man. You I mean, you're slender. You know, you got. Looking like a young Tiger Woods. I mean, you got all the Nike gear here. on today. <laughs> I mean, so it's like, I can tell you take some pride in how you look. You wouldn't know you're in your early 60s now. I prefer 50 ish, but, you know, who's, <laughs> who's counting? Who's counting? Who's counting? Let's go back a little bit. Okay. So give a brief history for those who are just hearing your story for the first time. Okay. You're in prison. You've exhausted what you feel might be all of your avenues to try to clear your name. Yes, sir. And then we're talking about, what, 2004, 2005. You can correct me on the dates if I'm wrong. You know, you issue some requests and some judges ignore them. And then talk about what happens, you know, how the Innocence Project and the dispatch gets involved and when you, your first memories of that process. Well, I filed for DNA testing three times that were turned down by the courts. Why? Because they just could and did. So around 2004 or 5, the Innocent Project and the Columbus Dispatch had a joint venture that they were doing called Test of Convictions, where they were wondering why the courts were just turning down DNA results. They did a lot of research and a lot of work on it, and they uh, complied to 30 top cases that seemed to be more ideal mine being among those they interviewed me and i think they were impressed with my honesty they were impressed that i went to the parole board and i had a chance for consideration of early release and, and said no and i was given five years each time i said no and they were impressed that i did work with uh young gangbangers and they helped them get their education geds and coach them and all and they were impressed with my honesty when i told them I, hey look i've been no angel i've done some things but i didn't do this right and also too there were some questionable things done in this case i mean the rape that you were convicted of was of your you know your 10 year old daughter thought it was you right yeah it was a there were some things that were done that were quite sinister and diabolical to the point where I don't even really acknowledge this child as a daughter, even to this day. But it was my biological uh, daughter that accused me of this. And then you were largely convicted on her saying... On her testimony, a pointing finger at me and saying that I did it, and it was very, very powerful in court. But I want to point this out also. I empathize with this child when I seen this child on the stand because I, I thought that she was coarse and confused, and something happened to this child. The things that they said really did happen to this child, and I felt bad. I empathized with this child. It's just that I did not do it, okay? And people need to be aware that we in this country love our children, and when you're accused of any kind of crime against a child and you're in front of a jury or a judge, you're not going to fare well. You're just not. I mean, we have a lady named Nancy Smith who was convicted. But she was doing the daycare back in the day when they had the, the schools where you keep your kids in daycare. Mm-hmm. Well, she was convicted. Long story short, she was convicted, accused of molesting these children because it t- turned out that you get federal government, federal money from the government if your child was accused of being molested. Okay, so these people became millionaires by accusing people of molestation. If, I, one of if I'm hearing you right, you're, you're saying you're sitting in the courtroom, you're on trial. 
Yes, sir. You're listening to her tell her version. Mm-hmm. You're feeling like sympathy for her because you knew she was a victim. I did. I did because she was her testimony was so confusing. It was so just all over the place. But her innocence there, you know, if, if I'm a juror, I'm looking at this child and I'm saying, wow, something happened to this child. During the time that, that you were incarcerated, did you ever see her? Did she ever? Was there any contact? No. Do you think you'll ever be able to reconcile no the relationship? No way. Even to this day, she still feels that I did yeah. this. So let's snap back, though, to you tell your story to the Innocence Project. Yes. And you tell your story to the dispatch reporters. Yes. At the time, and it was Mike Wagner and Jeff Dutton, correct? Yes. yes. And then what happens? Because you filed for DNA testing before, and it just kind of went nowhere. So you probably had the feeling that, okay, I'll do this. Because what else, what are my other options? But it'll probably go nowhere. And talk about what happens after that. Mike Wagner and Jeff Dutton, they seemed very, very sincere about what they were doing. And I got a good feeling from them that they wasn't just pulling my leg like a lot of other people. You, you, when you go to prison, a lot of people make promises. A lot of attorneys, you know, I went through money and everything on attorneys and everything because they will tell you this and, you know. But, but these guys came in there and they looked me in the eyes and they said, hey, you know, if this right here points out, you know, that you didn't do it, you know, because I got a feeling on this that you that you didn't do this. So you better not be screwing me. And I said, listen, man, I would not do that to you. I'm telling you the God's truth. But he said, if you're not, you know, it's going to be bad for you. So when the results came back, we knew that the results had came back. And my family was calling the Cummins Batch and the Innocent Project trying to find out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Nobody would talk to him. Right. Nobody said anything. My family was saying, well, Robert, what's going on? The results, we know the results are back. They told us the results are back, but nobody's saying anything at all. I said, gosh, I hope that they did, the results didn't come back being inconclusive because sometime when results have been sitting for a long time, they don't, they become inconclusive. So I was kind of concerned, you know, but I remember a time when me and Mike Wagner talked about after I got out, he asked me because I played basketball. I said, y'all still play with the young guys. He said, well, I played in high school. He said, if you ever get out, we'll play a basketball game. I said, cool, okay. So I'm sitting here in the hallway, and I'm watching the attorneys and everybody go by, and I'm not getting any eye contact from none of the attorneys, from nobody. I'm looking there. I'm looking. I'm trying to wave. I'm trying to smile. They're walking straight by me, not even looking at me. So I'm saying, this is the day that you find out the results? Yes. Okay, so you're you're waiting to go into a courtroom? I'm waiting to go into in front of the media. It's not a courtroom. It's a, okay. it's a place that they have the media out. Oh, so they're going to announce the results. They're going to announce the results. And you still don't know the results? I don't know the results. Y- you were going to find out in front of? In front of the media. Oh, wow. And I was terrified because I'm thinking my attorneys would be the first to tell me or my family what is going on. Right. So... Mike Wagner was the last one to walk by, and he barely looked at me, but he said, you ready for that basketball game? And I was so elated, I just smiled and curled up, just rubbed my hand together like I, like I was a little child, because... Yeah, that's, it, I mean, it, it was 18 years. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. It turned out that they didn't want to give the results to family or me. They wanted to do it, you know, in spontaneous in front of the media and everything. Yeah. When you were inside, did you ever imagine like that something like this would happen that, I don't know, you'd be exonerated and just free one day? You'd go through a different a different emotions when you're in prison, when you're doing time for something that you didn't do. You have dreams and fantasies of getting out. When you're in prison, you, you have to apply the work and the log- logic 
and the legal work there to get out. We know that. And my post-conviction fell through. But I always knew that this child knew that I didn't do this. And we knew that someone else had done it. We always felt that it was somewhere close. I always had hope and faith that I would get out because, like I said, you lose everything but hope and faith. I just didn't have no idea when. Mm, yeah. So now you've been out and it's been 10 years and you've kind of dedicated your life to helping people that are in your position. Yes. A lot of people maybe would have just walked away, but you turned around and went right back at it. Can you kind of talk about what you've been doing and what the impact has been on you? Well, I believe that we all have to find our purpose in life, something that feeds our soul. I didn't want to work a traditional job after doing 18 years in prison. I was offered some jobs, some pretty good jobs. I wanted the freedom to choose to go and come as I please. So I started doing a lot of speaking engagements for the Innocent Project. Okay. And just so everybody knows, the state paid you $1.1 million, right? Yes. And do you have to pay taxes on that? No. Okay. So do you get that in one lump sum? Yes. Okay. And so now you're out, and I assume it, how long did it take for you to you know, get the money from the state to start putting your life back together. It took a longer than what we expected. Matter of fact, uh, Mike Wagner printed up an article about why it was taking so long for it to happen. I think when I got out, I didn't get it to almost three years. As a result of my case, any exoneree gets out, gets half their money within 90 days, which is important because you need that. Sure. Uh, They played hardball with me because they thought that I was destitute and I really, it wouldn't make a difference if I was destitute or not, which I wasn't, but I wasn't going to just take any offer, turn down three different offers before we settled on what we thought was, was fair at the time, which no amount is fair, but they played hardball. Uh, uh, a matter of fact, what is hardball? What were they doing? Trying to lowball me. They were trying to give you like, we'll give you your money now, but take less. No, they were just trying to just give me less. And Mr. Reno actually had to come in on my behalf. You know, he was the former, the past, uh, what's that, is it Attorney General? What? No, not Reno, um, Petro. Oh, Petro. Sorry. Jim Petro. Yeah, Jim Petro. Had told those, said, look, we taught you, we taught you guys to be fair. We want you to be fair with, with Mr. McClendon. And then after the Columbus Dispatch printed that article, you know, things start rolling. Okay. Rolling and rolling and all. And it happened. But I think it, if I had been a person who really needed that money or didn't have anything else going on it could have hurt because when you get out you can't get favors it's not good to get favors from family or friends financial favors because trust me they're going to want 10 times more and we tell that to the exonerees don't take any favors from nobody don't let a guy come up you and say here let me give you this car because when it comes time they're going to want way way more and a lot of people are taking the cleaners like that so you're working for the ohio innocence project now you're working with them. I'm working with the Ohio Innocent Project in the capacity of even legal work, working with the students, talking to the exonerees. I've been to a couple of prisons and talked to certain, well, they weren't exonerees at the time. Mm-hmm. And dealing with the exonerees, it's like a brotherhood when they're out. These guys come out with all kinds of issues and problems. They say we all suffer from some form of PTSD okay. in one way or another. Some of some of these guys is a lot more severe, you know. Mark Gossi said uh, he thought that I was as normal as possible, but I don't know. You know, I have issues, too. Not those type of issues. Well, I'm sure there have to be images that haunt you. Well, it's not. With me, my issues is uh, I have trust issues. I have commitment issues. Well, damn, you ain't got to go to prison to have those type of issues, do you? (laughs) No, you don't. Right. I have no perception of time. I don't know what time I'm going to bed. I don't know what time I'm getting up. That's 
of freedom to me because after being told for so many years what time to get up, what time to go to bed, I liked the night more than the day. Okay. Right. Because the night was taken away. In prison, you're locked down at 730. You don't get to see no stars, no moon, no grass or nothing like that. So I love the, the night. I'm reminded of that when I talk to people three or four in the morning. Robert, uh, hey, you know, we we had to go to work. <laughs> right. Late night, early morning calls. Right. Okay. What's been the hardest thing to adjust to since being out? Well, that's easy. When I got out, I went to a Walmart at Easton, and I went in to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. Go to wash my hands, and I look, there's no knobs. So I'm looking under the table and around and everything, and I don't see no knobs. So I'm sitting there, you know, thinking. Then another gentleman comes in, okay? He, he does his hand in the, and puts his hand up under, under under the wire. I said, oh, my God, I know I've been gone for so long. <laughs> and then he puts his hand up on the paper towel. The paper towels come out. I said, Dad, what is this, magic? No, <laughs> no, no. Seriously, though, like, I still struggle with those, like, today, like, those sinks and yeah. trying to get them to yeah, come we off. Yeah, we always this. Oh, it was, it's I mean, it, technology was, was something I had to learn that but then it became fun learning it you know i had to get all of the, the latest navigation systems and phones and everything and you know a lot of my grandkids taught me it. they teach you about technology and phones but it was definitely technology i mean first of all people say well when you was you was gone or there was no phone there were phones it was the big remember the big old phones in the briefcase yeah that you yeah, carried? yeah i was out in the air where there were phones i matter of fact i was out in the air when they had the motorola flip phone i had the motorola flip phone but people always say that well you where's no phones out with you it were yeah. phones out now looking back on it do you ever think about just laying it all down and just not being robert mcclendon exoneree and just trying to be or is this something that you embrace is it something that you want to be a part of you I'm always fascinated about how people react once because you got lightning in a bottle and it's rare that somebody gets that and to grapple with it and move on from it, you can go multiple ways. Mm. So I just wonder, like, do you think about that at all? I believe that, like I said, you find your purpose in life. And I believe that it feeds my soul doing what I do with the Innocent Project because you're actually saving somebody's life. You know, a person that gets out of prison, they don't have exonerate gets out of prison. They just get out. They say, you're out. Parolees have more at their disposal in terms of health care, housing, monies, food stamps, and all that. Okay. You got more. Exonerate, they just push you out the door and say, so there, there you go. there's no net. No. There's no safety net. And some of the people that you think are your friends that you try to depend on are only there because of monetary or because they're thinking that you're going to get money. So we have to be like a social worker, even though the Innocent Project is not in the social worker business, they still do a lot. But we have to do the most. We have to tell them to get an, an annuity so that they'll have money coming in, okay, which is very, very important. Where to go and get your money, where, where to go and invest your money. Mm-hmm. The Innocent Project cannot give any advice on any exonerees on what to do with their money. They can't. They cannot do that. Right. But we as exonerees can do that, and we often do do that because there's a lot of predators out here who are trying to get a hold of exonerees that want to say, hey, invest here or come here or we'll take care of you, this, that, and the other. We steer them in the right direction. So this is something that's needed. It's like these guys are like walking out of caves, some of them. Yeah. So I love what I'm doing. I'm going to always continue. It's to do amazing. What I, do. I mean, yeah. the mental strength. It's who that, I am. The mental strength that you have. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a rarity. It's it's yeah. and, and your just your outlook, your the way you you look at this situation is really amazing. I wanted to mm-hmm. know, you know, there's a saying everything happens for a reason. That's very true. Do you believe this happened to you for a reason? And if so, what's that reason? I do because 
I believe that everybody is where they're supposed to be in life, according to the universe, God, or whatever. I believe that every everything that we've done in life has brought us to where we are for whatever reason, and you have to embrace that. That means embracing the good along with the bad, and it's what you do with that moment where you are that, that counts. For me, it's helping others that's in my situation, and I've gotten into it with family members who say, well, hey, uh, what about us? What about? I said, I'm sorry. Okay, I've helped you. I'm going to help people in my situation because I know it. If, when I came home, I didn't get the help. There was no exonerees there for me. Right. Because I've been out the, the longest under the new DNA system. So since I've been out, it's, I feel a burden of responsibility, me and, and a guy by the name of Dean Gillespie, to reach out to exonerees and to help them in ways that we know to, and to guide them in areas that we have already been through. Because they know that we're going to keep it real. We're not going to lie to them. We don't want anything from them. We're going to keep it real with them. Mm. And that's what we do. Well, you kept it real here today. And you did. And, and I knew you would. <laughs> we really appreciate you being here. Yes, sir. Uh, and really appreciate that the work that you're still doing. I mean, it's Thank you. it's really remarkable. And I know you probably get a lot of that. But if it means anything at all, just coming from the two of us who we monitor the news on a daily basis. And yes, sir. We see the worst of the worst, like you've seen the worst of the worst. That's and, right. And to see people to try to do the best in the worst is is really remarkable. So thank you yes. for all that I respect doing. that very much, and I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I thank you guys very much. And, and I always, always say that I could not have been here without the Innocent Project, but it's the same with the Columbus Dispatch, okay, because I could not be here without either one of them. So I want to say thank you guys, too. The pleasure is ours. Hey, Mike Wagner, we just played a basketball game and yeah, a who, cornhole game. Who won the game? He won. <laughs> hey, you don't know it, but he knocked you down and step over you when I it comes to the basketball court. Well, thanks again for joining us, Robert. We yes, really sir. appreciate it. And yes, to all our listeners out there, don't forget, we'd love to hear from you. So please check in with us on our Facebook page at Facebook backslash groups slash the other side podcast or you can always hit us up on twitter at other side underscore pod and there you'll find old episodes and photos and a bunch of other stuff so until the next time don't forget to see things from the other side thanks just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.